Welcome. If you're a woman who has a sense that there's more out there for you, you're in the right place. I'm Whitney Baker, host of the Electric Ideas podcast. Somewhere along the line of working kids, life carried on, but I lost track of my truth. I'm on a reflective journey, and that's what this podcast is all about. Each week, I interview a woman who is lighting her own path and offering others hope. Before our conversation ends, we'll share a reflective question for you to explore. Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. Today's guest is Angie Cho. Angie is a renowned feng shui practitioner who is here for us today with great advice on creating beautiful and tranquil homes. She is certified as a feng shui educator at the Mindful Design Feng Shui School. We're going to be taking an enlightening deep dive into one of her books. It's called Mindful Homes, Creating Healing Living Spaces with Mindfulness and Feng Shui. And while what we get into today is based on a lot of very, very ancient wisdom that's not intended to be absorbed in one quick hit, I do believe there are simple changes we can all make, including to transform the energy in our homes that greatly impact our sense of well-being and ease in our lives. Let's dive in. All right, Angie, welcome to the show. Hi, Whitney. Thank you so much for having me. I want to start by just diving right in because you say in your book that our spaces reflect and inform our lives. And I think this alone might be something not everybody spends a lot of time reflecting on. Can you start by telling us a bit about that perspective? Sure. I mean, for me, it was something that was always there because even as a young girl, I would rearrange my room all the time. and. I really enjoyed doing that. I I mean, I think over the course of like my childhood, I probably rearranged my room like 20, 30 times. I don't know. You find, you find a way to rearrange the same furniture in many different ways. And that was always something that I was inspired to do. So I naturally gravitated towards that idea that of course your spaces really affect you because I was so compelled to do that. And then later on, when I went to college, I ended up studying architecture. And although on a superficial level, people tend to say like, oh, well, that's so cool. You design buildings. And I had this other way of looking at it is that I was really interested in creating interior spaces or or shaping space that people live in. So it didn't really matter what it looked like as much as what happened in the space and how a space could shape or inform or shift your experience. And I think some people really resonate with that. And I think others don't. And that might come from, you know, there's there tends to be a lot of shame I've noticed recently. And I haven't I guess I never really thought about it too much because I didn't have the same feeling about it. But a lot of shame that comes with space, too, when people kind of look at their spaces almost like they look at their bodies. I taught a class recently and I showed a slide of a, like a nice kind of like vignette of a wall with pictures, like very, anyone could have this in their home. This woman was really triggered by it. And then someone said like, where do I put my heart monitor? And where do I put this? And where do I put all my clutter? And I'm like, well, that's really not the job of a feng shui consultant to tell you where to put all your stuff. But I could see that it was really, it was almost like putting up a picture of someone in a bikini, like with a perfect Photoshopped body. I love that this is coming through right away because 
I think there's so much truth in this, especially living in this digital age where there's this expectation of perfection. And it seems to me that you are just more about creating spaces that deeply nourish whatever life is supposed to be happening for the individual person. Right. And if it does bring up judgment, pay attention to that. If it doesn't, if you're very proud of it, pay attention to that too. But there's no like rules that you have to have this perfect Instagram, Pinterest worthy space to have good feng shui in your life. Of course not. Just like you don't need to have the perfect bikini body to be a decent person. We all know that. But at the same time, if I came over to your house for dinner, or if you came over to my house for a cup of tea, I would take a little bit of extra time to make sure I picked like a nice cup for you, pick out a nice tea, set it up nice, straighten up my home a little bit, because having a little bit of a decorum matters. And, and so it's so interesting that these like pictures of homes that are organized can really have this like shame to come up in people. It's just something that I've been noticing recently. And maybe any everyone agrees with this, but it was it's been new to me. Well, to be honest, I found it very reassuring in your beautiful book that you reminded us to give ourselves grace and not beat ourselves up about a little bit of clutter or dust. But you still invited us to get curious about that. Yes. So tell us a little bit more about that shift, you know, because you're not saying you're bad or you should feel guilty if this is happening. It could be an arrow, I believe. Yeah, it could be an arrow pointing to something. So I think that's something that in our culture, we have this idea of there's some kind of something that we've defined as perfection. So one example would be someone had asked me once, how do I not have any dust in my life? And I said, well, when you have no more dust in your life, you're probably dead. You know, like dust is a part of life. Doing your dishes every day is a part of being alive. So having to pick things up, make your bed every day, we can look at these as like chores and we want things to all be plastic perfect. But really, there's a beauty in the ritual. And like when things accumulate, when dust accumulates somewhere it's a sign that's saying, well, maybe this area needs some attending to. It's like the universe is letting you know, oh, you haven't noticed this area. Maybe it's time to take a look at it or just notice that you haven't taken a look at it. And maybe it gives you more information because I think the challenges and our difficulty connecting the space comes to when we neglect things and we try to numb ourselves out and ignore it. But really, there's so much beauty that we can see once we take a moment to take a look. What's really coming through for me is you're saying this is just this sense of worthiness, too. Like, I'm mm -hmm. worthy of um, curating and caring for a space that energizes me and supports me. Yes, absolutely. And that's also tied into that judgment. It's that we sometimes like to immediately judge ourselves as this is like a bad habit or I'm like someone asked me once too like I have like a problem and I can never put things back in the right place and one of my graduates one of my students she's an organizer and I asked her about it because I don't really know about organizing it's, it's a different discipline and she said you know I would tell that person that it's not that she's not able to put things away that where she's trying to put things away that's not the right place for it 
because if it was the right place for it, she would put it away there. You know, so how do we step back and look at things a little bit differently? But there, I think it, it's really tied up with all this judgment and shame. And, you know, I've talked to other people more in depth about it now that I'm kind of looking into this more. And I think it also has to do with maybe like as a child, like you grew up and you were ashamed of people coming over to your house because your parents were hoarders and it can go really deep. Or like, hmm. you know, if you work with mothers, right, for instance, yeah, of course, you're not going to have a picture perfect house because things are a little bit chaotic with children all over the place. And that's totally acceptable. And it would actually be, I think, more of a red flag if it wasn't that way. If you had a perfectly sanitized, sterile home with young children running around in it, that would seem to me more of a red flag. Like, I wonder what's going on there. Well, that's a powerful permission slip. So thank you for that to all the moms in the audience. I want to take a step back because you cover, you know, a lot of ancient wisdom. And like we were chatting for a second before we hopped on, I feel like a lot of these concepts in your book, we could cover for like a 10 episode conversation. But I do want to ask you to give us a little lesson on chi, because I know that that is fundamental. And I think it's a word that people have heard about, but maybe don't understand. Can you share that with us? Yeah, definitely. And it's also one of the foundational concepts to many Eastern practices to understand chi. So chi is sometimes, in my book, I spell it Q-I. Sometimes you'll see it spelled C-H-I. It's also similar to if you practice yoga, like prana, like it's your life force energy. And one of my teachers recently said that she pointed out that when you die, everything stays here, your blood, your body, your tissue, but what leaves is your chi. And that is that life force energy. And it's often connected to the sparkle in your eyes. And so that is what we look at in feng shui and also in these different Asian practices like Chinese medicine and Qigong and Tai Chi. You know, the word is in those those names, right? Tai Chi, Qigong. We look at what is that life force energy that not only flows in our bodies, but in the spaces around us and in the objects around us. And how can we curate that a little bit or notice that and see the quality of it? Is it stuck? Is it stagnant? Is it vibrant? Is it able to flow or is it moving too fast and what are the qualities of that invisible essence that actually is what makes us alive beautiful i am curious i know that this is very individual but i know from your book there are many things that everyone could explore if they are hoping to keep that chi that life force energy moving in their homes. So can you give us an example of some positive actions we might try and also a few common traps you see where people maybe are unknowingly blocking their chi? Yes. So one really like super simple way to move the chi in your home is to actually just move things around your home. So one like kind of ritual you could put around it is using the number nine. So nine is an auspicious number in feng shui. So For instance, moving nine things around in your home. Or if you do have a like a lot of stuff, you could say like letting go of nine things in your home. But it doesn't mean like I have to move my bed from here to the other side of the house. It could be as simple as taking a light or lamp and just turning it. 
Or um, maybe you put a set of dishes on the other side of the cabinet. Or maybe repiling the dishes in a different organization. Like it's up to you what you define as moving. But when things are not moving is when chi starts to collect. And then like, and similarly, dust starts to collect and the chi can't move. So simply like moving things around your home, walking around your home, even pets are considered like yang chi, like they start to move around your home and bring life energy to your home. So just that simple practice of like nine things, move nine things around your home every nine days or, or just once, try it out. And then that can be an exploration like as to noticing like, oh, how does it feel when I just move things for the sake of moving the chi instead of making a whole like job out of it, right? And then some ways that we unintentionally maybe cause some obstacles in terms of the flow of chi that is really common is that a lot of people pile up or accumulate things near their front door. So whether it's like the bag of trash you mean to take out or the bag of things you want to give away to Goodwill or all the shoes or coats that are accumulating in the winter. So one like way you can look at it that's a little bit clearer to see is like, can the door open all the way? Can the door open a full 90 degrees? And then is there anything blocking that? Or are there any like areas in your near entry where, where you have to kind of go sideways? Like you have to walk in sideways or it's hard to walk in with your groceries so that gives you a sense that suddenly your the path is getting constricted and you can even visualize like our blood vessels when we start to um, accumulate plaque in our blood vessels right so just are those pathways for cheetah flow in your home starting to get like congested and so it doesn't just have to be your front door it could be maybe the path to your closet the path to a door like what is at ease or even your daily path out of bed to go to the bathroom? Are there places in your home where you suddenly like, you know, like you have to make this big accommodation, like you have to walk around this big piece of furniture or that Peloton you, you said you would use and you don't use. So now you have to make a, you have to walk around it and feel guilty about it every day. Yeah, I can definitely relate to this because coincidentally, as I was reading this book and preparing, we have a few items of furniture that have been replaced in the past year in my home. It's been Mm -hmm. a long time coming. And we've moved some of the things into our hallway and replaced them, but we have not gotten rid of the things in the hallway. And so I'm kind of crouching and stepping over things. And I was reading this book and I was like, honey, this is horrible for our life force energy. We got to move this. Like, stop. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, and it's okay if it's there for like, you know, a week or whatever, how long you need to you know, maybe find someone that will take it away from you. But like, for instance, I had a student, he had got this bike and he lived in a, like in New York City, we have these long apartments called railroad apartments. He lived in this railroad apartment. And so he was home a lot because it was at the beginning of COVID. And he had to like walk around this bike like several times a day in a small hallway. And so every time you're like walking by, you have to like contort your body to move around it. And just like in your hallway too. And it affects you like on a mundane level, maybe like eventually you stub your toe or maybe like when you get older, you're like, oh, my body feels twisted. But 
also like we tend to get very accustomed to these things that we don't even notice the impacts on our body. But like if I went to your house, I would notice or if you went to my house, you would notice. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I want to talk a little bit about the intersection of feng shui and mindfulness because I feel like that invited in some really fresh perspective for me. And just that awareness piece, I think it's really easy to get so used to living in our own homes that we forget to just look at them with an outside lens. Yeah. Do you have any ideas or practices that you like to do just to encourage us to pause and really look around and see what we've created for ourselves? It's usually helpful to have an outside eye, but I have a practice in my book called an awareness exercise. It comes from some of my teachers because I study Buddhism and the Buddhism that I study, like our root teacher was an artist and he very much included all these kind of different, what we call Dharma art practices and encouraged his students to look at, look at their environments with a fresh perspective. So there's um, an exercise called an awareness practice. It's on page 69 in my book. And actually, the funny thing is I'd learned this uh, before the pandemic, before COVID. And then when we were in the pandemic, I did some kind of like retreats, and I uh, meditation things online a lot. And some of the teachers would, we would practice this on Zoom. And so it became an interesting thing to do do this in your home. So I practiced this outside of my home, but it was a very fresh perspective to do it in your home. So it's really simple. And basically, without getting into the specifics on my book, but anyone could do it, it's just set an egg timer. And it's actually spending 20 minutes, which is a long time. But spending 20 minutes, just doing it, that whole 20 minutes, you do a 360 rotation. Just sit in one place and rotate your body 360 degrees and just look and just be present with what you see. And if that 20 minutes is a big stretch for a lot of people, so you could try even five minutes is probably very long for most people. So you could do one minute, set a timer, one minute, ding, turn a quarter turn, another minute, ding, another quarter turn. And just like anywhere in your room and see what comes up. Sometimes you're staring at a corner. Sometimes you're staring at a door. Sometimes you're staring at your, you know, your computer. And you just never look at your home like that. We really don't, do we? I mean, <laughs> no. I this resonates with me because, you know, it just that act of being still with your house and looking at it through that intentional lens And again, you know, I teach meditation, so the way you're describing it really speaks to me. And I think just reminding people to be that curious observer, not Mm -hmm. judge themselves harshly by anything they see, but do pay attention to if something excites you or if something makes you feel dread, just get curious about it. Thank you for sharing that practice. I want to go back to, okay, first of all, you really caught my attention with the the pets wandering the house. Okay. <laughs> so I want to talk about the yin and yang energy. I know that's a popular symbol in today's culture, but I don't think many people understand it with much depth. Can you give us just, again, I know this is a foundational concept, but I feel like people would really like actually just hearing your perspective on what the symbols mean. So the concept of yin and yang is something that is kind of thrown around a lot. Like, you know, if you teach meditation, you know, like people throw around karma and things like that. And there is really like a secular kind of mainstream, a little bit of a 
superficial kind of definition of it. And then when you go deeper, what's amazing is that with most things, I think if you go deeper, even like with exploring a chocolate chip recipe, you could find a lot of beauty and depth in it, right? So while on the surface, yin and yang appears to be like duality, it appears to be an expression of duality, like black and white and night and day. So those are kind of the categories that they put yin and yang in. So yang would be like the sun, yin would be the moon, yang would be bright, yin would be dark, yang would be white, yin would be black. But if we really look at that, we understand that those are just two sides of the same coin. And so in fact, the concept of yin and yang really illustrates the paradox within that duality And therefore really expresses a non-duality because you can't have a cold day without comparing it to, you know, a summer day, right? If it was winter all the time, then it would always just be winter. But even in a winter day, there's a warmer winter day and a colder winter day. So these are just kind of ways that humans see the world. We see with this polarity and we can, we like to categorize. We have that propensity to categorize this is right and this is wrong this is good and this is bad but when you really look at and unpack yin and yang it's teaching us that one can't exist without the other and something that again something that like you're wearing a red sweater we could say that's a red sweater but then there's also like a cooler red and a warmer red right and so there's there's so many ways that we could even look deeper and see. And, and then that leads us to start to have more compassion and more curiosity about everything around us and separating ourselves less. So we could think, oh, this is my life and this is my home. This is my house and that's my neighbor's house. Or, you know, like we start to create these separations or this is what I think is good and this is what they do. What they do is bad. So it's so easy to start to kind of categorize and create separation when, when in fact, these separations, if we look at deeper, especially from the perspective of yin and yang, we can see that like how they're all interconnected. I'm definitely with you on opening up our aperture to seeing things as more interconnected. And that includes kind of our exteriors and our interior lives. Do you... And this is a concept that, you know, I'm continuing to learn about, but... Do you think that, like, if you were to walk into somebody's home, for example, do you feel like you have an immediate sense if the yin and the yang is, I don't want to say out of balance, you know, I feel like I don't want to be, but like, do you get like a imprint on that when you go into people's spaces? You know, it depends. I think only when it's really out of balance, because for the most part, I turn off kind of my way of looking at things. So sometimes people say, oh, like, do you think I have good feng shui? And I, and I say, well, I can't, you know, I'd have to look at it. At the same time, we all know you, I'm sure you can picture it right now. The last time you were looking for a home, you looked at different places and there are ones you went in and you immediately said, yes. And then there are ones where you're like, no way, Jose, never would I ever move here. And then there's places where you're like, this is a maybe. So for the most part, most places are pretty neutral, but there are like ones that are quite extreme where you're like, something does not feel good. And, you know, for instance, like, uh, I mean, I used to go to a lot of bars when I was younger and now I can't really tolerate that because the energy, the chi is so low 
in a place like that because it's just not conducive to my energy now. And so that's like something I would say, like I can clearly feel the chi is different, but it depends. Yeah. So generally most people, like I don't like, I would, I wouldn't like size up someone's home, but when there's quite an extreme, which all of us would feel like, just like how you could feel the difference between being in a New York city penthouse versus the beach in Costa Rica or in a cabin in the woods, right? All of these places have different feelings. And so most people can intuitively feel it. What are a few things that are Angie's non-negotiables for making sure good life force energy through your, your own space? Well, one thing that's a really funny thing that I do sometimes is if I go somewhere, this is like not even for my own space, but if I go somewhere and the lighting's really bad, like there's a blue light, I will like want to change the light bulb. So I've, I've been known to like, if I have to stay somewhere for a long time, change the light bulbs. And then usually when I go and stay anywhere, I do bring like some, uh, a Palo Santo or a, a white sage mist because you don't really want to burn something in someone else's space or a hotel room or something. So I usually kind of clear the space and those are really important. But um, for my own home, some real easy ways like that I try to bring some life energy into my space too is with, with fresh flowers. That's kind of a big thing. I think that it seems like it, some of this just comes intuitively to you too. And that sometimes we can't explain why we just create something. And so I honor that as well. So I want to make sure, I, this is a little bit of a curveball, but one impression I got from your book that I've been thinking about is just that, and now that we have a couple foundations for what chi is and everything, and just this whole idea that everything in our surroundings kind of thrums with its own energy mm-hmm. is a concept that I think people might be interested in hearing your perspective about. Can you share a little bit on that? Well, you know how we talked about how chi flows through not just our bodies, but within the our spaces, but also within the things around us and also in the land and within the walls of a space. So your home resonates with the vibration of people who have lived there before, things that have happened before, people who have lived on the land. And this conversation actually reminds me of like how they say, if you have two instruments, like two of the same instruments, two violins, and you play one string on one violin, the same string on the other violin will vibrate on a very subtle level. And so we're all connected in that way that we resonate with each other and we resonate with the chi of our surroundings. And then also we, uh, most people note that visual of the butterfly wing creating a tsunami or something in Japan, you know, a small little shift. And this relates to karma, right? Like one small shift, one action leads to many different actions and outcomes and causes. There's many causes and conditions. So same in our space, like something that you do in your space can affect and resonate maybe on a very small level or on a large level, different parts of your life. I like that image a lot of that attunement is what the word is coming to my mind. Mm -hmm. And also, I like that reminder that small, simple shifts can sometimes, you know, lead to big things. So yeah, what's actually coming up for me is, you know, you talk in your book about an open vessel, which I thought was a really lovely reflection. And sometimes you'd say you'd leave something that was empty out. And correct me if I'm not reflecting this correctly, but it was kind of really touching because it wasn't like a sense of emptiness. It was almost this space that was like open 
to to what's coming. And I just thought that was really nice. Yes. You know, I, I kind of touched on that in a few ways. Like I reflected on when I was young, I really loved like this class I took where I made baskets. And, you know, you weave this container and then it leads to the this verse in the Tao Te Ching where it talks about the useful part of a basket is not the outside, it's the space within. And how we sometimes really get focused on the container when what's really the most useful is the space within that what it can hold or not what it holds, but the space that it can hold. And so it kind of flips our way of thinking. It's like that paradoxical thinking instead of always thinking like, I'm thinking of this one visual where there is like this image of a branch across the sky. And most people would say, oh, that looks like a branch across the sky. So Chogum Trungpa, who's my root guru, he took that picture, but he said he saw it as a crack in the sky. So the sky was solid and the branch is the space. So how do we always like step back and kind of flip it and value that, that space? And space can also be solid too. And just, just investigate it. So I, I know we're coming up against time. I always give my guests a chance to leave with a reflection for everyone to consider. I feel like we've offered a lot of beautiful reflections. But when it comes to creating homes that feel like they give our soul peace, that's what's coming to me now, and that feel intentional and nourishing, what's one question we can be asking ourselves in order to step in the right direction towards creating that for ourselves? I think one question that you can ask yourself is how friendly are you with your home? You know, you spend a lot of time in your home, right? But how much time have you actually spent getting to know your home, which could simply mean something like maybe this sounds a little crazy. And we talk, I talk about this in the book. It's like maybe giving your home a name, giving your home a name and acknowledging that it's alive and it's a friend. It's your friend, it's your support, and also treating it like a friend too. Because sometimes we can have very harsh words. Like I'm getting kind of like emotional thinking about it, but sometimes we have very harsh words for our home. Like I've heard people say like, I hate my stove or I hate this part of my house. And you know, how would how would you feel if you were like the home that has always been there supporting that inhabitant? And then you're always there quietly supporting and then you're you're kind of not acknowledge. So acknowledging your home, getting to know your home, having curiosity about the home is, I think, a really great place to start. Just being honest with like how much time you've spent acknowledging your home as a living being. That's beautiful. Angie, I know people are going to want to learn more from you. You have so much depth to share and we've just scratched the surface. So I encourage everybody to check out the book, Mindful Homes, but also where can we connect and learn more from you? Well, I actually teach feng shui and I have co-founded a school called Mindful Design Feng Shui School. So you can check that out. We have lots of stuff. Oh, and I also have a podcast called the Holistic Spaces Podcast with my business partner, Laura Morris. And we talk all about feng shui. And also I'm on Instagram at Angie Cho. Wonderful. Well, this was so lovely to learn from you. I really enjoyed your book. We'll make sure to capture it in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. 
I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at at WhitneyWoman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.